This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Welcome, everyone. Thank you all for coming out to the um, panel discussion of our journey. Um, my name is Tamara Coleman-Hill. I'll be moderating the discussion today. I'm a faculty member here at Moraine Valley College. I teach comp- composition and literature. Um, just a bit that, that I want to share, I was actually really excited that I was asked to moderate this panel um, to really discuss the journey of black women here at the college. Um, before I was here at the college, I um, worked in uh, sort of the social justice movement and, and did activist work in reproductive health for women of color. So much of my background is based around um, work to improve the lives of, of black women in particular, but all women, of course, on a large scale. So I'm really glad to be doing this today. Um, before we get started, before we talk to the distinguished panelists and uh, we introduce the panelists, I just want to read a couple of words from Maya Angelou um, that I think are really important and I think really reflect um, the journey of black women as a whole. And then also I think in their stories you'll um, probably hear this as well. She writes, there's a kind of strength that is almost frightening in black women. It's as if a steel rod runs right through the head down to the feet. And when I think about that, I think a lot about um, women like the women who are here on this panel, but also women like my mother, women like my aunts, and other black women that I've um, encountered over the course of of my career um, in education and also my career in activism. So I think it's really important for us to take time to think about how many of the voices of women, particularly women of color, are not heard and are silenced in many ways. So um, this is really an honor for us to be able to hear um, women in uh, higher education talk about their experiences at the college and also in their own lives. So thank you for being with us today. Um, First, I'm going to allow each of the panelists to introduce themselves and give us a sense of who they are, their background here, um, and their position at Moraine Valley College. Um, We can start with... Good morning, everybody. My name is Sylvia Jenkins, and I serve as the Dean of Academic Development and Learning Resources here at Moraine Valley Community College. Some of the responsibilities I have are the library that you're sitting in right now, the Center for Teaching and Learning, which offers all of the professional development for our faculty and staff, and online instruction. Uh, Some of you may have taken online classes. Faculty members who are interested in uh, teaching online work with the people in the Center for Teaching and Learning to learn how to create those classes. So those are some of my major primary responsibilities at the college. I've been at Moraine for 23 years. It'll be 24 years this coming year. And it's been a wonderful experience here. I started as a part-time librarian worked 14 years as a full-time library faculty member and the last 10 years as a dean here in the center and the library. Uh, I'm very pleased and honored to be asked to be a part of this panel. Thank you, Sylvia. Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Clarice Gilbert. (coughs) I work in the graphics department and um, I've been with Moraine Valley five years now. And working in graphics, we are the people that provide posters, uh, literature, um, uh, formats for you guys when you receive your syllabi and things from us. 
Uh, we are the one that produced that, inf that information for you and make sure you guys get it on hand for testing or for, for whatever other reason that you need this for. Uh, I am very pleased to be on this panel with these ladies to serve as one of the pa panelists for the uh, journey that we are heading into. And again, I am pleased to be here and thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Adrienne Stewart. I'm the Director of Multicultural Student Affairs in the English Language Learning Center here. Um, and we work with all of our minority students with providing academic advising and support services and diversity programming, such as today's event, um, and with our English as a Second Language students with helping them with their journey on their educational um, journey as they take classes here. We provide support for them also in the uh, IEL department. Oh, I'm sorry. I've been here almost 12 years come September. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Um, I apologize. I'm actually losing my voice. So um, I'm going to um, try my best to participate in this panel. My name is Misty Williams. I am the director of the TRIO Upward Bound Program, which is a grant that is funded to um, ensure that high school students who are first generation and low income are eligible for college. I have been working with Upward Bound here at Moraine Valley for two and a half years, and I've been working with Upward Bound in general for the past 12 years. Um, I'm very excited to be here as a new <clears throat> excuse me, as a new employee here on campus um, and we actually work with Eisenhower High School students um, who are actually in the district of Moraine Valley. So once again, I apologize for my voice and I will try to participate as much as I can. Thank you. Thank you, Misty. Um, so all of the women on the panel are in different positions and different roles here at the college, so we get to see sort of a broad spectrum of um, the roles that African-American women play here at the college. Um, the first question that I want to ask the um, women on the panel is to tell us a bit about your journey in this, to get to this current position or a profession that, that you're in. I'm going to start. Clarice? Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, my journey. Okay, I don't know where to begin, but I guess I can probably start um, when I first graduated from high school. Um, I graduated from high school and attended Illinois State University right after that for, for two years. And my major was in speech pathology. Um, I had a niche to learn about um, learning sign language and dealing with deaf deaf children. Um, I was very fascinated by that. So that was my major into the two years of going to Illinois State University. Um, for next then I start working. Uh, I'm a little nervous, so forgive me. <laughs> I start working uh, at TransUnion Credit Bureau. Um, and I worked there for almost seven years, and basically I dealt with credit with people uh, like you guys here deal with credit that we keep a log on and report it, people report it to us and we log it in and file it for, references re for, for, for reference reasons, I'm sorry. Um, 
Prior to that, I worked at Danka Office Imaging, which is a company that served uh, copiers, large rims of copiers to major companies. Um, we did the sales of the equipment and we kept up with the service uh, people that came out to service the machines and make sure that we got our money once they got those machines in. So we started from A to B to finish those jobs. Um, prior to that, uh, there were other in-between jobs that I've had until I came here to Moraine Valley. And I was excited because when I came here, the feel of this college really touched my heart. And I always wanted to be somewhere where I'm accepted, where people respect you, and they give you credit for what you do. And I found that out here. And I work with so many people in different areas. And I mean, I get the same vibe from all of them. They all are so nice and diligent to help you out in any area that you need. And even with the students here, you know, uh, some of them may come up to you and ask you questions about certain things about the school. And uh, it makes you feel real good, and I'm really very proud to work here. So that's somewhat of my little journey from my teenage years until now. And uh, thank you. Okay. Adrian, how did you get here? <laughs> this morning I drove in. <laughs> but, uh, ooh, that's I, um, you know, went to college, like everyone here. Um, I started in Northern, and um, my major was elementary education. I quickly learned that I did not like little children when they were crying and stunning and wiping their hands on, you know, the teacher's clothes. That, that wasn't for me. I like my clothes. So um, I knew I wanted to work with young people, <laughs> and I had it to... It was after college, I went into social, um, the social service agency that I worked at where they, uh, we took in homeless children and um, I knew that wasn't for me also because the kids, I, I, it was very draining working with that population and it was unexpected. You never knew what was going to happen, what was coming in, drugs, knives. I, I can tell you some of the things I saw there on that floor where I worked there and I knew that wasn't a place for me. So I said, I want to, I want to give back. I want to help. Because there's so many things that I didn't learn and didn't know when I was in college, where to go, who to talk to. Things I found out later that other people didn't know either. And I'm like, well, if I didn't know, because I was a first-generation college student, I'm like, well, who else doesn't know? And this is probably still going on because we still had so many people. So I decided that um, I want to work in higher ed. So I'm like, how do I get there? So I said, well, let me start applying. I started applying to, uh, you know, community colleges. I had a stopgate first. I actually worked at a um, high school in the district is a, a prevention specialist, and I was working with behavior disorder students. That was draining, too, so I knew I didn't want to stay there. But I knew I still wanted to work with students. So I applied to another position at CETA, because I always had this thing about giving back to the community and working with people and helping them to reach and achieve their goals. And from there, I ended up in Moraine Valley as a single parent specialist because when I worked at CEDAR, I worked with our parents, providing workshops and helping the students become enrolled in schools in preschool. So when I got to Moraine, um, 
I got here and started learning as much as I could. And I was very thankful to be here because it was a great place to work. Everybody kept saying, how did you get a job in Moran? I said, well, I knew the boss. They said, you knew the president? I said, no, I knew God. <laughs> so, um, like I said, I've been here 12 years. I worked with Multicultural Student Affairs, which was Minority Student Transfer Center, because I said, well, who do I need to get to know here so I can learn some other things to be able to move up, hopefully, while I'm in Moran. And I met Joanne Wright and Willa Johnson, who was a counselor here at the time, and they kind of took me under their wings and started mentoring me. And I started working with them with doing some of the programming for the Transfer Center for Black History Month, Hispanic Awareness Month, and then a position came open, and voila. I became the coordinator of Minority Student Achievement, and I worked with another young lady who's no longer here. Her name was Norma Saleh Barone. And she was a good mentor, too. She took me under her wings, and she taught me a lot and showed me a lot of things about how to be an administrator and that my opinions valued when she was making decisions or considering things for Minority Student Transfer Center. So... Um, at that point, and I'm telling a whole bunch of stuff that I probably shouldn't, um, they encouraged me, you need to go back to school, Adrian, you need to get your master's. So I'm like, I'm not smart enough. So I'm like, okay, they keep saying I need to do this, I'm going to go ahead and try it. And I did. And then that's how I ended up as the director of Multicultural Student Affairs. And it was a great day when they when I received the job because I felt that people really valued me and they thought that I had something to say that was important and that I knew my job and that I did it well and that's how I ended up here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sophia, can you tell us a little bit about your journey into your current position? <laughs> well, it's a long story. It's a long story. Uh, actually, I grew up in a very small town in Louisiana. Uh, I'm not sure if any of you have ever heard of Opelousas, Louisiana. How many people have heard of that town? Yay, see, somebody in the back. I've <laughs> heard of Opelousas, Louisiana. Well, Opelousas is located about 60 miles northwest of Baton Rouge, which is the capital of Louisiana. But the town I grew up in was very, very small, 17,000 people, two high schools, three elementary schools, and that was the extent of it. I graduated from high school in 1968, so now you're going to be able to figure out how old I am. 68. For those of you who know your history, the Supreme Court uh, ruled on a case called Brown versus Board of Education in 1954, which meant that segregated schools were supposed to end. Well, when I graduated from high school in 1968, schools were still segregated in Louisiana. Okay, so you can say, well, Sylvia grew up in a town that the people either didn't know the law or didn't follow the law. Whichever it was, it happened. When I graduated from high school, I went to an uh, all-black college, um, Grambling. Some of you know it as Grambling University. It was Grambling College when I went to school. At that time, Grambling was known for its band. For those of you who know about the Grambling Marching Band, it's great then, it's great now. But at the time I went, girls couldn't participate in the band. Only guys could be in the band. But I graduated from Grambling, and when I graduated, I had two choices to go on to get my master's degree, uh, either in English education from Ohio State University or in library science. 
we had one graduate program of library science in the state of Louisiana, and that was at LSU. At the time when I graduated, they were only letting in a handful of black people each year. I did not get accepted. But I did get a full fellowship to go to State University of New York in Albany. And so when I graduated from Grambling, I went to Albany, New York. So I went from a very small town in Louisiana to a place that I had never been to before, had never flown on an airplane, had never gone to school with people that didn't look like me. But now I was 20 years old and in graduate school. But I had an opportunity to go to school with my tuition paid for, my room and board paid for, plus money that they gave me to live on. So you work hard regardless of the circumstances. You work hard. You study. You take advantage of the circumstances that are given you. When I graduated from my master's program, my first position was at a private liberal arts college in Richmond, Virginia, called Virginia Union University. I worked there for 13 years and worked with students that came from all over the United States, students who were coming with an opportunity to be educated, and I learned a lot in those 13 years as I worked as a librarian. And then in 1986, my husband, my children, and I moved to Chicago. I have four daughters, three of whom have already graduated from college, two with master's degrees, and the last one, hallelujah, is in college. <laughs> so we're almost empty nesters, almost empty nesters, and we have four grandchildren. But I said all of that to say, when I came to Moraine Valley, even though I had never worked at a community college, so much of what a community college stands for is what I experienced in my life. If it had not been for those segregated schools, even though they may have been considered second class, if it had not been for Grambling, if it had not been for an opportunity to go to Albany, then I may not have had the opportunity to be here today. Community colleges serve that same possibility for so many of the students that we serve here. So that's why I think working at a place like Moraine Valley is such a wonderful opportunity because we are here from, in many instances for students who, like myself, would not have had that opportunity had the college not been here. So 24 years later, here I am at Moraine Valley in this position. I work with a wonderful group of people, many of them who are sitting here today. Some of them I don't even see from one day to the next because they either work at night or work on weekends. But, you know, the services still go on, and they do an extra fine job of doing it. So I've been very fortunate throughout my career to work with a lot of supportive people, a lot of good people. As Adrian said, there's always been mentors in my life. Even though the teachers may not have had all the resources, they cared about us, and they made us do our homework. I, I went to school during the time when it was okay for the teacher to use the ruler to you know, to make sure you did what you were supposed to do. <laughs> and it worked, you know. So I'm not ashamed to say that there were times when I even got a spanking. Nobody would believe that, but anyway. <laughs> but I said all that to say, take advantage of the situation that you have. You can find good in every situation. Just take advantage of it and do the best you can with it. Thank you, Sylvia.
I just want to say really quickly, because I think it's really important, especially since we're sitting in a, a community college and for the students, um, I also went to community college um, in California. That's where I grew up. And, and I always um, tell students who have different ideas about whether or not they should be at a community college, should they be at a university. And for me, I was a, a first-generation college student as well, the youngest of five, and the first and really very few even now of my family to have attended college and then to go on for a master's degree. So I really want to stress the importance of taking this opportunity really seriously and not looking at it as something that's, that's you know, second class to a university, but really just a step up that ladder to the next level of transferring if that is ultimately your goal. So, Misty, can you tell us a little bit? <laughs> okay. Um, I actually um, also grew up in a very small town. However, my town only had 6,000 people, um, and it was actually in southern Illinois. Um, I went to a predominantly uh, white high school. I was one of three other black students um, in the high school. So I had a very um, interesting experience going through the school system. Um, when I was in high school, I always knew that I wanted to go to college, but I didn't have any support. Um, I'm also first generation, meaning that neither of my parents nor anyone in my family um, went to college. And I had no teachers or counselors at my high school that actually encouraged me to want to go to college. I just knew that that was just something that I wanted to do. Um, so I was a good student, um, and I got accepted to Eastern Illinois University, which is about three hours south of here in Charleston, Illinois. Um, I was very scared. Um, I had no idea what I was um, getting myself into. My parents couldn't explain anything to me. Um, so pretty much myself and my mother, we were going through the whole college experience together because she did not go to college either. <clears throat> so um, when I first went to college, um, I was so set on uh, becoming a business major. Um, it was just I took business classes when I was in um, high school, and I was just interested in it. Um, however, my first semester, um, I think I took an economics class, and then I dropped the business major after that because I, I was like, no way, I could not do this. Um, so that, this is one of the reasons why I kind of try to tell my students that, you know, kind of you don't have to declare a major when you first go to college. Kind of, you know, find out who you are and see what you're interested in because that's exactly what my advisor when I went to Eastern told me um, when I wanted to change my major. They, they pretty much asked me what I like to do. So... Um, from that conversation, um, we came up with a degree that I never even heard of, um, and it's recreation administration. Okay. And <clears throat> there, the reason why I never heard of it is because I just, I mean, nobody really thinks about recreation as being a major. So the reason why I chose this is because I'm a person that likes to plan activities, um, programs, um, and things like that. So they kind of put all that together. Um, and say that I was probably be interested in recreation administration, and I loved it. Um, some of the jobs that come from recreation administration could be um, working in a park district, after school programs, you can work in the school system, um, things like that. So um, I actually got very involved in um, college. Uh, it was, you know, Eastern didn't have a very big black population, but it was a lot bigger than three students in high school. So it was kind of a good fit for me. Um, I got very, very involved in like the Black Student Union. Um, I joined a sorority. 
um, just really got involved because I felt that I was missing that when I was in high school. Um, so when I finished with my bachelor's degree, I actually did an internship um, with an Upward Bound program. Never heard of Upward Bound. Okay, so I was actually the activities director. And when I was started working with the students, I realized these students have a lot of issues and I don't know how to deal with them. So I kind of realized that I need to go and get a counseling degree. So one thing also that a lot of students might realize too, I know for me, when I got my bachelor's degree, I was like, I'm not ready to go work. So what can I do? So I went to graduate school. So I stayed at Eastern and I enrolled in the, um, actually it's an education program, but they have two different tracks. You can either go community counseling or you can go school counseling. So I received a master's in education for community counseling. Um, I always said to myself, you know, I do not want to go in the schools. I just want to do, you know, work in the community. School is not the avenue that I want to, want to do. <clears throat> so as I was going through the program, everything was based on counseling skills and everything. And I started working with um, another TRIO program, which we have here on campus. It's called Student Support Services. Um, which is basically helping students um, be successful in college. So once I started becoming more interested in that, then I was like, well, maybe the school track is what I need to do. But it was kind of too late because I already, I was almost finished with community counseling. So um, I received a, a graduate assistantship, which basically when you're in the graduate school, <clears throat> you can have a job and work in an office and they'll pay for you to go to school. Okay, so that's what I had received. So um, I was able to work with student support services, and I realized that I really want to work with students. So my first job, um, luckily out of college, was working with an Upward Bound program. I was a counselor for an Upward Bound. Um, and I actually went, um, I was born in California, but I was raised in Illinois. So I decided to move back to California. So as soon as I graduated, I moved to California and started working with Upper Bound. Um, I've been working with Upper Bound ever since. Um, I love the program um, so much that I felt that I needed to go back and get another like, a certificate. So I went back and got certified as a high school counselor. So um, I not only have the community counseling background, but I also have a school counseling background. Um, I actually worked in a high school for a year, and I said, no way. This is not what I want to do. Um, I need some type of, uh, what is the word? Uh, I need to be getting something from my experience. Um, I wasn't doing what I wanted to do in the high school. All I was doing was disciplining students and making out schedules. Okay, I needed to get something from my experience, so I went back to Upward Bound, um, and I was able to become a director of the program because I kind of outgrew the counseling position. So this was, Moraine Valley is my first um, experience as a director and like I said before I really love my job and um, my goal is pretty much to probably stay with um, programs like Upward Bound um, for the rest of my career so that's pretty much my journey Thank you Ms. I too thought I wanted to teach high school until I subbed at Chicago Public Schools for a month mm -hmm. then I w went back to school <laughs> um, the next question I want to ask is really related to um, not just being African-American but being a woman. Um, did any of you face any challenges either professionally or personally um, 
being, Af- being an African-American female? I don't know who wants to. <coughs> well, I'll say a little something. Um, my experience actually comes from, is this hard? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my experience actually comes from being in college, and uh, once again, it's I didn't know what I was doing, and um, my parents didn't know because one of my parents has a high school education diploma, and the other one had to drop out of high school to help take care of the family because both my mother and father were raised in the country. Well, I shouldn't say the country, the South, but they lived on farms, so they had to take care of the cows, chickens, and horses, and stuff like that. Um, So education at the time for their parents wasn't um, as important as it was for them, for their children. So um, experience I had when I was at Northern was that I was in the L.A. program first, is that um, my advisor that was assigned to me wasn't giving me the same information she was giving my uh, peers in my class who were white. And I couldn't understand what was going on. And they would be coming to me after we, you know, go see our counselor and get our schedules. And they were, well, Adrian, why are you not in this class? You were in this class with us last semester. Um, that doesn't make any sense. And when I would speak to my counselor or advisor, she was like, well, you just need to take these classes. So I was, like, not finding any help. So I just took it upon myself at that time. I was like, well, you know what? I'm just taking the classes that my peers are taking. Because I just took the classes with them because I would just do it anyway. And um, she would look at my schedule when I came back and look, because then I didn't take the classes she recommended. She usually would just look at me kind of weirdly. And I'd be like, okay, whatever. Just tell me what classes you're going to take. But I didn't, you know, that is what made me say when I, get out of here. How can I help somebody? Because I didn't have this help. I was always just taking the classes that she told my peers to take. So, and my grades were the same as theirs, so I couldn't understand why I was getting this different information. And she never had an answer. So, that was probably like the main reason why I was like, if I want to work in a community college, I want to work in high ed, I want to be able to help somebody to stay on the right track. And at least, if you don't know the right track, get you on that path so you can get where you're trying to go. Because if I had paid any attention to her, I do not know what I would have, what I would be today. Because she did not help me at all. So that was my experience and my challenge while I was in college. Thanks. Anyone else? Well, you know, actually, the experience that I'm going to share happened to me when I was here. Um, You know, I mentioned to you earlier, I grew up in a situation where I went to segregated schools, went to segregated college. It wasn't until graduate school that I was in an integrated educational environment. So all along, I had very good mentors and people who cared about me. And I, I was fortunate enough to be born into a family where both of my parents taught school. So they had been to college. My grandparents had been to college. It's very unusual circumstance. So it wasn't a matter of knowing how to navigate the educational experience, but it was after I was hired here at Moraine Valley, and I shared this not too long ago. I had an open forum for a position that I'm applying for here at the college, and I shared this story with the people who were at the forum. Uh, Not long after I was hired at Moraine, the person who was the college president at the time, not our current president, who was the college president, shared with me that there were people who worked at Moraine Valley who were working here because they did not want to work with black people. They had moved to the southwest suburbs 
and worked at Moraine because they did not want to work with black people. So he wanted me to do a special project for him, plan the Black History Month. And I agreed to do that, but he thought he should let me know that I may not get the support that I needed because of the attitudes of some of the people who worked here. That actually, even as a grown-up professional adult, came somewhat as a surprise to me, simply because all through my life and career, I had been in situations where, yes, segregation was real, but I moved forward. I never had anybody to say to me, you can't do this. I just did it in a different way. But what my response to him was, and something I would say to all of you, everybody, it doesn't matter what color you are, you just say, well, if they let me do my job, it's not about wanting to work with me or like me, but just let me do my job, then I'll be fine. And that was my response I gave to him. I said, well, as long as they let me do my job, I didn't come to work to say for people, I want people to like me, but it wasn't my purpose of coming to work. I needed a job. I have children. I need to raise children. I needed money. So, but you know what? I never had that pushback that he told me about because I continued to be the professional that I was taught to be, and I did my job. And so I did get the support that I needed. I did get the cooperation from people that I need, and I continue to do so. But that was the one experience that I would share with you in my life, that as an African-American woman, that I was told, you know, people don't want to work with you. Thank you, Sylvia. Misty. Um, can you tell us, um, any of you, can you tell us about any um, differences in your cultural or differences in cultural experiences between you and your generation and your parents' generation? Maybe experiences as an African American, experiences as a woman? Oh, well, I, I don't want to do all the talking. <laughs> you know, I just mentioned to you both my parents taught school but they taught school in Louisiana in the segregated school so their pay was not the same as the pay of the white teachers in the schools okay but they raised four children uh, six children six children and sent six children to college but my father not only taught school but he also worked many many different jobs he taught school by day and he was a hotel bellman in the evening he sold cars in the summer he he did whatever he had to do. He worked on a beer delivery truck, whatever it took. I remember the can on my father's dresser that he saved all of his tips in, and that's what my parents used to buy the groceries. But they had a purpose and an, and an intention to make sure that all of us became educated. So the difference then was, and they didn't feel that they were in a place where they could fight for their rights. They were so concerned about protecting us and protecting their jobs that they kept quiet and didn't say very much of anything. Fortunately, we live in a different time when people feel better about being able to say, no, this is not right, you know, this has to be different, and so forth. But my parents' generation, and I'm thankful for what they did and sacrifices that they made, but they were of different mindset than we are today. Um, <clears throat> I can say for me, um, between uh, my 
uh, generation and my parents' generation is that um, I just have a lot more opportunities and resources that are available to me. Um, both of my parents, um, my dad worked in an oil field. Um, he eventually went um, to college later on in his life. <clears throat> but my mother, she works at a factory, and she still works at a factory. These are like the only types of jobs that were available um, to them at their time. Um, so for me, I would just say that um, I just have more opportunities and resources that are available for me um, for my future. Um, I think for me, as I said, my parents birth were raised in the South, so uh, their responsibilities, according to their parents, were to you know work. My mother used to go on roofs, and there were ten roofs at the time, and she'd paint the roofs, and you know they go outside and get the chickens and the eggs and the horses, and you had to walk down to the creek and get the pails of water. I mean, I've heard all the stories. So my parents really wanted us all my siblings and I to have a higher education. So they always instilled in us you have it was an expectation. My father would say, You gotta get you gotta go to college, you gotta go to college, you gotta go to college. That's all I ever heard. I'm like, Well I'm gonna stop hearing this <laughs> Even when we were in college it was like you gotta get your lesson, you gotta get your lesson. So I think the biggest thing was that they all worked my father worked at a factory until he retired um last year. And my mother she was a stay at home um homemaker so she took care of the family and our experiences now me and my brothers and sisters are totally different from what they experienced when we were growing up because I do things so differently and my mother is always going I don't know where she got that from you know she has never been on a plane and doesn't want to go on a plane um, she's never been out of the country and doesn't want to go out of the country she's afraid somebody's going to keep her I always say nobody's keeping you mom I promise you that <laughs> <laughs> but my experience is just culturally in that, you know, um, way is to totally different from Because Sometimes she says, I don't understand that, Adrian. You know, and she's always, but at the same time, they're always telling everybody. When Adrian goes here, she does this, she tries that, you know. In, in a way, because I've done so many of those things, it made them want to try things, too. Because my father's like, well, let me get something other than shrimp fried rice. Would you order it for me? Because <laughs> <laughs> you know everybody likes shrimp fried rice. So those things, my experience actually kind of helped my own parents to grow because of where they came from, the things they didn't do, and they didn't have the opportunity to be able to do a lot of those things. But they gave me that opportunity to be able to do those things and to want those things. And I'm very grateful for that for them. Thank you, Adrian. Clarice? As far as my experience with my parents, too, um, they wasn't raised with education as far as what I have experienced uh, today and now. But uh, my father worked for Campbell Soup, from what I recall, for until his retirement. Um, he worked, and my mother was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, she was the one that nourished us and she encouraged us and she shaped us to be what we wanted to be. We can go out there and do whatever we wanted to do, whatever mindset that we were in. And she was basically the backbone to getting all of us to do what we needed to do. Me being the firstborn, um, my goal was the fact that since nobody went to college, I was going to be the first. And my parents kept saying, well, we don't have the funds for you to go to college, and we can't do this. And I said, well, I'm going to find a way. 
So I had went to uh, fill out a student form to get financial aid. Didn't know anything about filling out the form. And I kept asking my dad for his social security number. And he asked me, what do you need that for? I said, well, Dad, uh, please, I'm trying to go to college. And he said, I don't have no money for you to go to college. But some way I made it. I, I went ahead and I filled out the financial aid. And I was waiting for the response back from that and hoping that I was able to get into the college I wanted to get into. And when I finally, finally did that, I, I remember my mom, she looked at me and she, she shook her head and she said, you go, girl. But my dad was very upset, you know. But I said, well, dad, I'm going to make this work. And in the meantime, I'm getting ready to go to college and getting prepared and all that. Uh, my mom was the one that kind of helped me, but my dad was sitting there moaning and groaning about the fact that, you know, he didn't want me to go to college because he knew that he was going to have to spend money to, you know, take care of it and all that. But uh, as I got prepared to go, uh, then I started getting more response from my dad. And they came down and got me set up. And they got excited about it. And I was. And I felt good about being the firstborn to go to college. And they was very encouraging to me in that matter. So they just let me do what I had to do. And they said, well, if that's what you wanted to do, honey, you go right on ahead. So, and that's what I did. And they were proud of me, and I was proud of myself, too. <laughs> Thanks, Clarice. Um, I just want to share really quickly as I'm listening to all the stories and thinking about it, and I, I think one of the common things that we've heard a lot is this idea of, um, you know, being a first-generation college student and not really understanding the process because there's really nobody there in your house to tell you how to navigate that path. And I had, a, had the same experience, and I think sometimes in the generations, um, for me what, it, what has happened is that, my parents didn't have the um, idea or belief or thought that they could do whatever they wanted to do no matter whether there was money or not. And for me, being the first-generation college student, when I got into UC Santa Barbara in California, um, you know, I brought the uh, letter home to my parents. Look, I got in, and my dad just kind of looked at me. And I don't think he didn't want me to go. I just think he just realized he didn't have any money for me to go, um, which is why I um, ended up at a community college. But I think for, for me, and, and one of the things I tell students when they come to me and talk about, you know, I got into DePaul or I got into this school, but I don't have any money, I just say, figure it out. Just do it anyway. That shouldn't be a factor in moving on through, you know, in education because there's so many ways to, to get through college without your parents' help or without, you know, having a lot of money or jobs or whatever, but that it is possible. And so one of those big differences in generations becomes the belief that you can actually do whatever you want to do as opposed to our parents who may or may not have that belief based on circumstances or whatever. So I think that's really um, good to hear those stories. Um, okay, is there a mentor or a person in your life that has really um, impacted you that you can think of? Well, I think I mentioned a couple of times that... Um, when I was actually going through college, and um, even though I was the first, I am the firstborn, uh, first niece, first grandchild, kind of spoiled. But, <laughs> but um, so I got a lot of help from my aunts. <laughs> they always were sending me food and stuff. But they supported me, and I, even though they didn't understand, because I, I am the first person in my family to have an education, a bachelor's. And they didn't understand what I was doing or whatever. And, you know, I come home talking about things excited, but they supported me a lot. My family did across the board. And consequently, my cousins and brothers and sisters came up behind me. But 
my biggest mentors probably were when I started working at Moraine because I had I was surrounded by women of color that were leaders, um, very knowledgeable in their field, and I was watching them. And I started asking questions because I had all these questions of, well, how did you get there? What did you do? What do I need to do? Who do I talk to? How can I do this? And, and they were willing to open up and share with me all the knowledge that they have. And I still ask them questions. And... Um, they're always there, and they always have these great answers for me, whether it's just me sounding something off of them that I already know. I just want to double-check. and they're like, Why are you asking? You already know that. I said, I know. I learned from you. Because um, I always tell them all the time, you know, I think of certain things. If there's a situation or a challenge that I'm having at work or even in my personal life, what would Joanne do? What would Yolanda do? What would uh, Willa do? What would Norma do? What would T- I mean, I would ask these different questions to myself. And I always tell my students and the young ladies that I work with, you know, look for this person who's a positive person in your life. Even if you're not mentor- getting mentored by them on a professional basis or you are, you know, she is your mentor, look for somebody who has these characteristics that you want to have in your life also. And ask yourself sometimes when you're making a decision, what would that person do? And I just, you know, I appreciate all of those ladies, even Sylvia, because I used to talk with Sylvia when Norman was here. I don't get to talk to her that often now. But just watching them across the campus doing what they do and how they've risen up through the ranks has just made me a stronger person. Thank you, Adrian. Um, I will have to. <clears throat> Sorry, I would have to agree with Adrian. Um, I don't think I really had any um, mentors until I came here to Moraine Valley. Um, I pretty much always looked to my mom. Um, of course, she didn't go through the same experiences that I went through, but just her strength that she had. Um, that's pretty much where I had to get my strength and my confidence in myself. Um, there's a, I don't want to say there's like a myth that's going around that, um, you know, black women have an issue with helping other black women. Um, and one thing that made, made me feel good about myself was when I was um, a counselor in an Upward Bound program, I had tutors that were under me. And another um, black uh, tutor that was there, she was a female, she actually came to me and she um, thanked me for being someone that actually helped her because I would always um, encourage her to continue with school and, you know, what she wanted to do with her life. And she actually thanked me because she said that, you know, no one has ever done that. And I was very shocked and surprised and I could not believe that she has never experienced anyone, a black woman, trying to help her trying to help her. So, um, I mean, I was very shocked but very thankful for her in that. Um, And when I did come to Moraine Valley, um, I didn't have to look for people um, to be mentors. People just pretty much came to me when I came aboard, um, whether it be for personal um, issues or even just professional issues. So um, I guess the higher you go in your profession, that's when you will really start looking for your um, for your mentors. Um, and also I would like to say please take advantage of um, mentors, whether it be in high school, whether it be in college. Um, they don't have to always be um, a family member. They don't have to always be a teacher. They could, I mean, they could be a friend that is going through the same experience that you're going through um, and having the same issues. Okay, you, you can find your mentor in places that you probably would never think that you would look. So just take advantage of those people in your life. Thanks, Misty.
I mentioned earlier that I was fortunate enough to be raised in an environment where lots of people served as mentors in different ways. I can share with you with my first grade teacher, uh, Mother Norbert, you know, who let me sit on her lap during class time. So that was my beginning. But, you know, even more recently here at Moraine Valley, as we mentioned here before, there have been a lot of great people, all people, that have in some way or another helped me to be able to accomplish the goals that I have. But most recently, uh, the Vice President of Academic Affairs, Mary Kay Kickles, who's retired from this college, said to me one day, I was a faculty member and taking courses for lane movement as faculty members do, and she said, Sylvia, why don't you go back to school and get your doctorate? And, you know, it's something that you probably I thought about and then said, well, I don't really need a doctorate. I'm, I have a master's degree, and I can accomplish so many things in my life with this master's degree. But she said, you know, you have potential to do more things, but you'll need that piece of paper in order to be able to do that. So in 2002, I went back to school, and, and I did complete my doctorate degree in 2008. And I'm thankful that she saw something in me that said that I could do this. You know, having raised four children and, and have a very busy life, when did you have time to do it? But now we have educational institutions that have a flexible scheduling. You can go part-time. You can go online. You can do all kinds of things that you don't have to pick up and leave home to do. So I'm glad, glad for that inspiration that she gave me, and um, it's paid off. So all through my life I've had people at different times for different circumstances. And I have many people here that I work with here every day that in some ways they don't even realize it, that they are mentoring me as we have conversations. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sylvia. Um, <clears throat> I had a um, similar, similar experience to Sylvia in terms of uh, person encouraging her to go on for a, a PhD. I remember being in, um, under, in an undergraduate program at Cal State LA and um, one of my favorite professors, nobody else liked him, but I just liked him. I don't know why, but um, my favorite professor, he was a, a Latino guy who had gone through Harvard and gotten his Ph.D. from Harvard. Um, really, really smart. One of those professors that's kind of always out there somewhere and you're trying to pull him back in because you don't quite get because he's just way too smart. Um, I remember he pulled me aside one day and um, after looking at a few of my papers and grading my papers, he um, pulled me aside while we were walking across campus and he said, you know, you should really um, consider a doctoral program. And and I was still an undergrad at this time, and I just looked at him like, what? You know, And I didn't know the process of going straight from your bachelor's to Ph.D., that you could actually do that. And so he was explaining that to me. And, and then he said, I think you should apply to Harvard. Um, and I really was just like, wow, Harvard, you know, I'm at Cal State LA, a, a state institution. I should actually do that. Um, I didn't end up applying to Harvard, but I think for me, for him, being a Harvard graduate, um, being a man of color, being a Latino guy, as successful as, as he was in his career, him picking me out of all the students and, and just saying or at least believing that I had the potential was really, really important to me and in terms of everything else that I d chose to do um, in my career path. So those people come up in strange places in terms of mentors. You don't necessarily see them every day, but that one thing somebody says can be an encouragement. Um, at least it was for me. Um, are there any experiences that defined you as a person? Having children. And girls. 
and, and, and the stages of life that they go through, the stages of life that they go through that you wonder sometimes, are you doing it right, you know? And my mother said, you know, one of the blessings is living long enough to see them accomplish the things that you try to help them to accomplish. So, you know, that's really what shapes your life, the other people in your life that shape the life that you have. So having my children and raising them has been quite an experience. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mealis, thoughts? And you are here, there's a cross the campus when you're talking to different people who have been here um, 20, 30, 40, 100 years. <laughs> um, you really have all that knowledge, so they seem like they've been here 100 years. But I really, when I started working at Moraine Valley, this is where I grew up at. Um, this is where I made a lot of connections. This is where I met my mentors. This is where people encouraged me to go beyond what I knew. Because before that, you know, I consider this is where I formed my career. Because the places that I worked before that considered them jobs. And I remember I had a student in one of my class, and we were talking about what is the difference between a career and a job. And the student said, well, a career is something that you enjoy. A job is punishment. And I went, oh, Okay. <laughs> I said, I look back on some of my old jobs, but he might have been right. <laughs> but this experience just working here um, was a huge experience for me. Like I said, I grew up. You know, this is where they encouraged me, go back and get your master's. And when I went into my master's program, my first class, I remember sitting there, and I was like, oh, my God, these people are smarter than me. And I'm sitting there, I'm listening, and then, you know, I'm going through my first class. I did well my first semester. Then the next semester, my uh, instructor, because I had the same instructors for the whole entire program, he was like, what happened to that quiet Adrian? I said, I got my, uh, my, my field for the class now, you know. And that experience, my master's experience, is to show me, yeah, when you come out of here, if you aren't a leader, you can be a leader when you get out of here. And I think people saw that in me as I was going through that and I was growing even more. Every experience, every class that I took when I was in my master's program made me stronger. I was no longer the person who said the back of the class and said the front. First person with a hand up, you know. I used to be like, uh-uh, I'm not going up there. But that experience showed me that I had what it needed to take and that I was smarter than some of the people that was in the class. <laughs> so <laughs> the people who I thought were smart, eh, they didn't pay attention sometimes. But that was an experience for me that made me stronger and made me, when it was time for me, I'm like, should I apply for this position? And I did because I felt that I could do it. I knew that I had the skills, the knowledge, the experience, everything I needed in order to be able to do this job successfully. Okay. Thanks, Adrian. Um, for me, um, just knowing that, um, like I said before, no one before me and my family went to college. So now I have many cousins and family members that are now going to college, and many of them have said that you know I have influenced them. So I think that that is a big experience for me that has shaped my life because I feel that um, I was able to be, you know, an influence on them and so they are no longer, they, let, <clears throat> they no longer have to be first generation because, you know, there is someone like me that can help them out and guide them along the way. So that has kind of shaped my experience that I'm not only helping students in my job, but I'm also helping students that are my family. Thanks, Missy. Okay, I want to agree along with Missy, what she just said, too. <clears throat> Excuse me, being the first uh, person 
too in my generation to attend college. Um, and like I said, I have grandchildren now that now that I can input information to them to guide them as well. And um, and I just it just gives me joy that I can you know give them advice and they they can come to me and you know they say well what do you think about this and what do you think about that and and I have some input in in, in what they say and what they want to do with their lives. So I want to kind of agree with Missy as far as that goes as being the first and now that I'm like the leader now and everybody is coming to you asking you questions and stuff of that nature. So I think that was a, that's going to be a challenge for me. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, do you belong to or what professional or um, groups or organizations do any of you belong to that you think has had some um, impact on who you are or, or development or growth as a person? Uh, well, currently I belong to NCOR, which is the National Conference on Race and Ethnicity, and um, attend the conference every year. I'm not on any boards or anything, but going to that conference, I meet so many people who are like me and people who are not like me and who are going through similar um, things at their institutions that we get to talk and network and come up with great ideas to bring back to Moraine Valley. I'm always bringing something back to Moraine Valley that we can use here to help our students, support them, and to help them grow. So I think it's a very good... Uh, and I, it's good, too, because I see students there, and if I had known about that when I was younger <laughs> and in college, I'm always telling students, if you're interested in higher ed, start going to some of those national conferences because there's a lot of networking and resumes that you can pass out there, and you get to meet people who are trying to do the same thing that you're doing, trying to do or people who are doing the same thing that you want to do. What is the um, purpose of the organization? What do they do? Um, it's the conference for um, four-year institutions, two-year institutions, anybody who wants to come, and they do a lot of workshops on creating support at your institution, uh, working with different students. Okay. Thank you. Any others? Well, um, I'm not a big uh, joiner of organizations, but the, currently I uh, represent the college. The college is a member of a consortium, a group of colleges called the League for Innovation, and I serve as a representative from our college to the League for Innovation. And the purpose of the League for Innovation is these 19 community colleges serve as kind of the, the, the front runners, the forerunners for new and innovative things that co- community colleges do. And so what we do as a league board is to talk about those innovative things that we're doing in our colleges. We share information. We get ideas from each other. And then my role is to bring those ideas and information back to Moraine and find the people that those ideas uh, should um, help them doing their work. And I also serve currently on the Metropolitan Library System Board. Uh, the state of Illinois is divided into 12 library systems, and we are a part of what's called the Metropolitan Library System, and I serve as a board member, second term, second three-year term I've been elected to do that. That has been a very good experience for me. It's taught me a lot about other types of libraries in our state, public libraries, private libraries, um, school, and other college and university libraries. So we 
help and support and create policies and procedures that libraries have to follow in order to be a part of the system. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sylvia. Um, I'm actually um, on the board of an organization called Black Women for Reproductive Justice, and our work is it's a nonprofit organization that does um, policy and education around reproductive health, particularly for um, uh, African-American women. Um, but we work with uh, other groups around the nation, other women of color groups, and also mainstream organizations like NOW, um, um, NARAL, and some of the other reproductive health groups. Um, one of the benefits, I think, from this organization is that I've learned a lot about policy and how um, policy is affected, um, how laws are affected, how to actually develop bills um, and to, to change laws and those types of things. So there's some very practical reasons to um, be a part of different organizations that may be of interest. Um, and also I brought a lot of that stuff back to the classroom that I think ultimately students find um, interesting um, to write about. Um, how do you all balance between your personal and professional life? Oh, Do you have a personal life? <laughs> <laughs> you have kids. No, you don't have a personal life. <laughs> um, balancing between your personal and your professional life. Um, well, for me, it's very easy because I'm still single and I have no children. So it's very easy for me. Um, and my job is very demanding because I have to work on weekends and a lot of late evenings. Um, and I have to go out of town a lot, college tours and things like that. So right now it's very easy to balance it because of the fact that I don't have, you know, my own individual family. Um, however, when it does come to that time, um, I'll probably have to look to my mentors <laughs> to uh, give me that assistance on how to, to balance that. But... You know, right now, I'm still living the single life, so. Um, I think it's very important to find that balance in your life outside of work so that you can have something to, to help you relieve stress because as administrators and directors and deans and assistant deans, we do have some stress in our lives, just a little bit. And... Um, I make sure that I do things that I enjoy, you know, reading and, and exercising, not so much. Um, <laughs> dancing, I love to dance. I'm, I'm an avid stepper, and so I go out and do those type of things. And just spending time with my friends, but even though I'm single and I don't have children, I still have children because I have my students, and my students call me outside of my hours, some of them, because they know that I'm going to be there to help them if they need something. So... I have to learn how to tell them no sometimes, and I, you know, because they want to take up all your time. They think you're supposed to be at Moraine 24 hours <laughs> for them. But I think it's very important that you do learn how to balance your life, even with families, to make sure you make time for yourself so you have that time to do things for yourself that you remain healthy and be able to come to work and do what you need to do for your staff and, and for your job. Thanks, Adrian. Um, me, myself. Now, how many of you can wait till you get that last one out the house so you can say, yes, the house is mine. And now I'm at the point in my life now that I got the freedom. I don't know what to do, you know. I don't know. I'm, I'm running here, running there, you know, and, and all that. And I say, you know what? I kind of miss, I, I need that loudness here now, you know. And being that my grandchildren, when they come over to visit and stuff, tear up the house, do whatever. But I know when you're done, you're getting out of here and you're going home. So, so 
Uh, I'm in a transition right now, trying to figure out on how I'm going to do some things and uh, not do some things. Okay? <laughs> Thanks, Clarice. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, the grandchildren only come one week in a year. <laughs> Actually, my personal life is quite busy. My husband is a full-time pastor of a Baptist church in Chicago. So, which means that when you don't see me here, you usually see me there. Uh, so my weekends are pretty filled with uh, church activities, but I enjoy it. And it's been actually a good balance to help me to do this job, that I have a very good support group, not only from my family, but from my church family. And they, uh, you know, there are times when you have stressful days here, but it's nice when you can be in the fellowship of other people that can give you that kind of relief. So, so that's the other side of me that, that where I spend a lot of my time. And so when I say I don't join a lot of organizations because I have to go to a n number of things because of my uh, responsibilities and support for my husband's work in the ministry there and the church ministry, and they have a very, very active, we have a very, very active ministry and a lot of things I can't do because I have a full-time job. I never forget when we moved here, uh, in 1986, some of the women at church said to me, now exactly what is it that you would like to do? And I said, well, I wouldn't really like to do anything. I was just to come. At the time, we had three young children, and, and they took up a lot of my time. So what I do is I support everybody's ministry, attend those things that I can attend, and be there. Um, and, and my Sunday school teacher is not here, but that's one of my favorite things to do is to go to Sunday school every Sunday. Yes. Thank you, Sylvia. I don't have a personal life. I have three kids under nine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's your life. <laughs> Got my violin out. <laughs> um, the last question I'd like to ask you all is what advice do you give to... Um, generations coming up behind you, particularly women. Well, uh, you know, this is the part I like the best, giving uh, people advice. <laughs> what, what I'd say is find people and associate with people who are positive people, people who are moving forward in their lives. And this is what we taught our daughters. You know, having daughters, we'd always say to them, find kids in school that want to get A's and you hang with those kids. You know, you can always find somebody who wants to play hooky. You can always find somebody who wants to go to the mall instead of study. But find people that are, want to be positive, that have the same values that you've instilled in you. You wouldn't be sitting here today if somebody hadn't instilled some value, values in you. So associate yourself with people who have the same values that you have and want to move forward. That, that's my advice, no matter what age in life you're in. Um, people, even in my time in life, in my many years, which is not as long now as it have been, I still associate myself with people that I know want to move forward, people who want to do positive things, and people who are here for the right reason. You don't have time in life for negative people, people who are critical, and, and they spend their time and effort bringing down other people. We have too much good to do in life to spend our time doing that. So find positive people. Mm -hmm. Good advice. Thanks, Sylvia. Um, the advice that I would like to give is, um, advice that I always give to my students um, is to respect yourself. 
um, because you're not only representing yourself, but you're also representing your family and the community that you have come from. So that's that's a big thing. Is just always just to respect yourself. Well, I have maybe two. Uh, one is know your place. Um, when I was coming up, it was you knew your place as a young person. You knew that at 20, you knew what to say. You knew who to listen to and how to respond. And even at um, the age that I am, because I am over 40 now, so <laughs> I still listen to my parents. I still listen to my grandparents. You know, I respect what they have to say. I know my place. I know that I'm an adult, and when I come to work, I have people that I have to manage. But at the same time, when I go home, I know I'm a daughter. I know that I'm a grandchild. I know that I'm a niece. And I need to listen to what others have to say, even if, even if it's not something good for me. Just listen. And then, you know, you take what you need, and you toss what you don't need. So I, that's one thing I like to say to our young people and just period of people, our young people, know your place. Two, do something that you enjoy. Because when that student said to me that a job was something that was a punishment, I'm like, oh my goodness, he doesn't enjoy what he's doing. I always tell my students, make sure you do a job or a career that you enjoy. Something that when you get up in the morning, you can smile and come on into work and know that you're going to have a good day. So um, that's the one thing, because I know my father complained about his job for years, and I couldn't understand that, because I always said I would never do anything that I didn't enjoy. And I love coming to work in Moraine. I get to work with wonderful people. I get to do a lot of different and interesting things here. So that's the other thing I want to say to you all. It was something else I wanted to say, but I forget. Okay. You know, work on your memory, too. So. <laughs> Mine is um, be all that you can be. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, you as students, you get discouraged and sometimes you fall along the wayside and you don't have nobody there to support you or encourage you in things that you want to do. Now, be all that you can be can be many things as far as, you know, your school, your family, uh, things of that nature. So just don't let no one get you down. If, if you see something that you want to do, Go ahead and do it. It may not be what you want, but give it give it a go. Give it a go. And if that's not for you, then move on to number next. Mm-hmm. So just be all you can be. Thank you, um, I'm uh, teaching early American Lit, and I'm having a love affair with the romantics. Um, two, two quotes. Um, Imitation is suicide and to thine own self be true. Um, and I think those are really important, the whole idea of being authentic and being yourself. And so I'll, I'll leave you with that. Um, I think we can now open up. Shalita Shaw was supposed to be on the panel with us today. And she's a, another calm faculty member here at the college, and we're honored to have her here. Maybe you can Good afternoon, Shalita. Hi. Maybe you can um, briefly 
tell us who you are? Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey here to the college? Not today, but just oh. in general. <laughs> no, you don't want that journey. Your journey yeah. here in your position at the college. Did <laughs> so, you guys like your degrees and things yeah. like that? Oh. Whatever you want to share with us, Shalita. Okay. Uh, well, I'm Shalita, most of you all know. I'm Shalita Shaw, and I am a common instructor here. Um, my journey to Moraine was really a miraculous one. I had never really even heard of Moraine Valley. Um, and. <laughs> Emma, I, I hadn't. Um, hey, um, <laughs> and I met a student here for lunch, and when I came to the campus, and it wasn't even as beautiful as it is right now, but I just thought it was an amazing place. And even over lunch, I kept saying it was in the C building at the time. I could work here. I could really work here. So I started that journey, and I started putting together um packets with resumes and writing samples and just really trying to sell myself. I had recently moved back here from North Carolina and it took about 18 months for me to hear from, oh it took about 18 months now as I think about it, that's a long time, um, for me to hear back from Moraine. But once I did, I knew, you know, between the phone interview and the personal interview, it just became a destiny for me. It wasn't even a goal anymore. It was part of my destiny to work here. And I was just really adamant about making sure that I completed that side of it. So, you know, after all the time and all the hard work, I finally got to Moraine. And amazingly, that same person that I met for lunch, I never saw him again. It was almost like... He was part of it. I never saw him. I don't even know if he's alive right now. I never saw him again. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. And the very packet that I put together, you know, you can look up the different people over departments, and the person I looked up was Tom Dow. He's also my office mate right now. So it was just amazing for him to go from a stranger to a colleague to my office mate. So I'm always grateful for the journey to come to Moraine. It is an amazing place. To be. Thank you, Shalita. Just one more question. Oh. <laughs> Is there any advice you would give to um, the future generations coming up, students? Um, either advice in terms of um, careers, paths, processes, personal. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I heard some of you guys saying it as I was coming in, but I think two of the key things was to always be true to yourself and always do something that you love. I've never, and I'm going into my fourth year, I've never come to this place and thought of it as work. Never. It, you have to do something that you love. I mean, I had an unfortunate incident this morning, and all I could think was, i got to get to work. I have to get to Moraine Valley. So, you know, it, it's the kind of thing that if you do what you love, then you'll never work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. That's good. Thank you, baby. I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, do you want to do Okay, um, I think we can open it up for questions, but before we do that, do that I just want to remind folks that um, this is being recorded, and you can get it on the library website, uh, podcast, as a podcast, on the... Later today. Later today. Um, and if you're in my class, you, if you 
came in late, you can listen to it um, later today or sometime before the assignments do. Um, <laughs> make that announcement. Um, so we want to open it up for any um, questions that you might have for any of the distinguished panelists or comments. Yes. Uh, you were talking about that you were approaching college students. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I just want to repeat the question. She she said she said that uh, many of us talked about um, going to college and. Okay. So, was there what was was there any fear in making that first step to go to college, particularly as first generation college students are not having that support? My aspect is a little different because I came from educated people. My mom was educated. My grandparents were educated. So, my fear was failing. You know, it was a huge fear for me to fail, and, and I acted that out in various ways. Um, but I, I, I feared that for a while, you know, that I would not live up to, because it wasn't up for discussion whether I would go to college. It was always stressed in my home. But the graduating part was, you know, because it's an investment. So my biggest fear was, you know, will I be able to complete this journey? But somewhere along the lines, you find yourself. And that's the thing college does for you. You find yourself. And I see it with my students every day. They uncover themselves. And once you get a sense of who you are, you know that victory and success is within your reach. Um, my fear was the fact that being the first and out on my own, um, meaning that I was out on my own. I, I had to find myself too. And I just had to be there for my parents to represent that I'm going to do this. I'm going to press my way through this here. So as you know, that I don't know if many of you guys experienced the fact that, you know, once, once you're out there, you got to find your wings and fly on your own. And uh, that's what I had the fear of trying to find myself you know, and, and be the person that I wanted to be. And um, it wasn't easy, but I finally found it. Thank you. One of, one of the fears that I had, and it wasn't initially going to college, I think I was so adamant about doing that and, and being the first person in my family, but the fear that I began to have when I was in college was the fear of being different from the rest of my family and the fear of being separated from them in a way that I didn't have as I started to progress in, in, in higher education. I wasn't having the same conversations that I would with other folks who had been educated than, and the conversations I had with my family were very different. And I found myself trying to be different with my family and not use those words I learned at college, in college, but to use words that were acceptable in that environment. Um, I think now, after a long time later, I, I'm feeling a bit more comfortable being college edu educated around my family, but in many times it's really kind of the space that I'm navigating trying to still be a part of that community, that family community as well. 
you know, I guess for me it wasn't so much the fear of going, but it was the freedom that I got that I never had before. <laughs> okay, so, you know, I, I mentioned earlier I grew up in a very small town. We didn't have anything. We didn't have a place to go except the juke joint that my parents didn't allow me to go to. So then you get to college. In 1968 is when a lot of college students were finding their wings. And here I am in the midst of people who decided they wanted to protest curfew. We had curfew when I was in college. We had um, mothers that stayed in the dorms with us when I was in college. So we were protesting that, and I was out in the street protesting, and I didn't even know why. You know, so, so here I am, you know, 17 years old, thinking, okay, I have the freedom. I can stay out past 10 o'clock at night. Nobody can tell me what to do. And then, of course, your grades suffer. So what, it wasn't so much the pressure of going. It was like, okay, now I've got to figure this out. I better do a good job. You know? So then you have to decide how to balance between having that much freedom, what do you do with that much freedom, and then realizing, okay, college is not free. Somebody's paying for me to come here. I better do a good job. So it's just a matter of growing up. That was my time to grow up. Any other She said, what motivates you to never give up? Well, one thing that motivated me was uh, my parents, because their expectation was, you better finish. <laughs> so, and another thing was, I wanted it. Once I got there, I wanted what education offered me. So I had to keep going, because I had to get to that end so I can get what I wanted which was to go shopping once I got my good job. But <laughs> everybody knows I like to shop. But, yeah, once, you, once I was there, it was like I had to have this. It was something that, you know, was obtainable, and it was something that you just, you just want. Mm -hmm. You hunger for it. Um, for me, one thing that motivated me, was that I was tired of struggling, um, you know, going, growing up in a family where we didn't have um, a lot of money. My mom was working herself to death, um, and, you know, we were struggling. And then when I got to college, I didn't have a lot of money. You know, I was struggling um, and just, just being tired of that. So, I mean, even now sometimes I feel like I'm struggling, um, just trying to, you know, pay some debt off and things like that. So just not wanting to go back um, to have to struggle and stress myself out, that's what motivates me to just keep going um, and to just be a better me. I would have to say my family as well. Um, actually, my parents are right in the back. Yay. If you look in the back. <laughs> and they definitely did. They motivate me. I'll try not to get emotional. You know, okay. I fall out. Um, <laughs> But they did. And also, you know, unlike Tamara's story, we were commended for our vocabulary being different and having greater knowledge. They always wanted us to go further than they did. So when you have that kind of encouragement, you just can't lose. You just really don't, sweetie. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Shalita. There was another hand. I think you said, why did we decide to hold the event? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
I guess I would try to answer this question because I wasn't on the African American Heritage uh, Committee. I don't think anybody was. Were you? Oh, what bad? Misty was. I have 13 committees. <laughs> so, um, but we had had an African American male committee here. I mean, um, male panel here uh, last year. So, the African American History Month committee thought wouldn't it be a great idea to do women and the women that we had here on campus and hear their stories and how they came to be in the positions that they're in now and what was their journey like. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> Any other questions or comments, thoughts? Yes. Um, for all of the panelists, what do you see your next step in your life, in your personal life, in your career? Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear you. Um, since I'm fairly new here, um, I do plan on um, enhancing my career here at Moraine Valley. Um, professionally, but as far as in my personal life, I would really like to get married and have a family soon. So, to be honest with you, um, I really need to dream a bigger dream, Pam, for myself because my dream was to become a tenured you know, professor of a college. And so now that I've met that goal, I am, thank you, I, um, I need to dream a bigger dream now. And it's amazing that I get to do that so young. But at the same time, it's scary because you almost start over. Um, so we'll see. I'll, I'll keep you informed since you up the street from me. Um, <laughs> um, and, and personally, you know, I stand with Misty and probably so many educated black women, you know, where now you're at the point where you would like to get married. And, you know, we'll see about that family thing. Maybe have a kid. <laughs> well, um, Many people have dreams for me, so uh, right now I am in the process of uh, looking at uh, doctoral programs. Mm -hmm. Some people don't get too excited. Um, so that's where I am professionally because I do want to aspire to, you know, a dean, hopefully if not here in Moraine, somewhere else. Um, and personally, yes, we all want to get married. <laughs> I think no for the kids because I have enough of them, 3,500. Or more, so I think I'm okay with that. But uh, personally, I'm also looking at um, starting something for young women that I'm actually working on with some young women here. Um, that we have started a pilot, and it's called Swan. Um, it is spiritual women achieving now, mm -hmm. and we are working on ourselves as young women and bettering themselves and being able to move forward and recognizing what it is that they want to become and what it is they want to do with, them, with their lives. So. Uh, 
uh, the sky is the limit. Um, you know, you never know. You know, um, I think uh, Moraine Valley is the place to be. It is. It is definitely the place to be, especially for me right now. Uh, I'm probably going to head more into taking classes in sociology and other avenues uh, that this college has to offer. And uh, while I'm on board, I might as well, you know, take advantage of it. So, uh, like I say, the sky is the limit. Who knows where I may be in five, ten years from now. Do you want me to Okay. Um, I am hoping, expecting to be working on a second master's in women and gender studies in the fall. Um, and also, ultimately, my interest are, um, is really focused around writing. Um, I sort of identify myself as a, a feminist, and I'm really interested in the ways that um, marriage, which I am married, family and children, sort of operate in that sort of um, uh, with that ideology, I, I think in some ways it's problematic, and so I'm interested in really talking about that and writing about that and sharing my experiences. Well, personally, helping my last daughter get through college, cause that's our goal, to get her through college. Right now she's worried about a car and whatever, but get her through college. Um, and, you know, to continue to encourage my uh, children and their children to do the best that they can do and go as far in life as life will take them. Personally, uh, I, you know, as all of the panelists have said, this Moraine Valley has been an extremely supportive and great place to be. And my intent is to stay at Moraine Valley until I retire, whatever position of uh, capacity that might be in. Uh, I have been given the Fortune, good fortune to do a lot of things here at Moraine Valley participating in this panel. I mean, how many places can you go and you say you're paid to sit down and talk about your life? You know, who cares about my life? But you're being paid to talk about it. You know, so this has been a, a very fortunate experience for me, and I want to continue to stay at Moraine Valley, a place that has done an absolutely wonderful job of providing service to the community, actually fulfilling the mission that we say that we have, and being a part of that is a great. If the opportunity presents itself that I get broader experiences, I will take those opportunities. And um, But if the opportunity that I have now is still available to me, I will stay in this position and do the best job that I can in this position that I have. Thank you to all the panelists for sharing your stories and your experiences with us today. Thank you all for coming out. Um, feel free to, for those of us who will be around for a few minutes, asking any questions if, if you like, if you want to continue the discussion. Um, otherwise, thanks again for coming out. You all have a great day. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library.